So I was always thinking, what, what makes buzz? You know, what, what, what controls that? In the United States, when people go to find a movie to watch at night, to go out to the movies, they go to something called Rotten Tomatoes. Maybe you don't have it here. You have it here? It exists. All right. So I went deep, 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 deep into Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and I counted how many contributors to Rotten Tomatoes, the people who, critics and bloggers and writers and uh, who, and there's a very strict set of criteria that allow you to be a blogger, critic or something. Um, and of those people that are allowed to rate on the tomato meter, there are 168 women. And I thought that's absolutely fantastic. And there are, if there were 168 men, it would be balanced. If there were 268 men, it would be unfair, but I would be used to it. If there were 368, if there were 468, if there were five, six, actually there are 760 men who weigh in on the tomato meter. Now, I submit to you that men and women are not the same. They like different things. Sometimes they like the same things, but sometimes their tastes diverge. If the tomato meter is slighted so completely to one set of tastes, that drives box office in the United States, absolutely. So who are these critics, bloggers, and thing? I went on the side of the New York film critics. The New York film critics are 37 men and two women. And then I started to go on all the sites of the critics thing. And it is, the word isn't disheartening, it's infuriating. <laughs> because people accept this as received wisdom. This is just the way it is. And you can take every single issue of feminine rights, female rights in the world, and um, examine it under this same rubric. because. It isn't fair. So we need inclusion. We need inclusion. Rotten Tomatoes this year should say it has to be equal, half and half. our podcast. This is Women Behind the Camera. My name is Lauren Barker. I'm Emily Swanson. And today we have one of my good friends, Bree Harvey, on the show. She is a graduate of the film program at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. She primarily works in the makeup department on independent films and also has experience in the art department. She has a YouTube channel where she posts film reviews and her most anticipated film releases for each month. And as always, we now want to give her the opportunity to introduce herself. Anything else you want us to know? Um, no, I, I feel like that was a really good summary. Um, yeah, I don't know what to add. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a film enthusiast. I was a film studies minor, so I feel like not only is it important to 
work on movies, but also just uh, the state of women in the film industry. And also I like to, um, I'm doing a challenge where I watch every single film that's been nominated for Best Picture. So yeah, just like everything film in my life, always everything. That's amazing. So, (laughs) sorry, Emily. Oh, you're good. What? Go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What drew you to filmmaking, (laughs) Brie? What drew me to filmmaking? Um, So I, I have really young parents, and basically, we could watch whatever we want whenever we wanted to. So, like, I feel like I consumed way more movies than my peers who really didn't even have cable and uh it, it was harry potter though for a specific answer uh i wanted to know how the hell there was an elf like how did you guys make this elf and i was always uh interested in the behind the scenes and the fact that daniel radcliffe was talking to a yellow ball amazing mm. The magic of magical filmmaking. Yeah. I wanted to peep behind the curtain. Me too. Yeah. I, I always I love think, that. Yeah. We've talked about that before, how we would always watch behind the scenes features and things like that. Yep. And our families were like, why are we watching this? <laughs> yeah. I was watching director's commentaries mm-hmm. on films I didn't mm-hmm. even like. And I would watch Disney Channel and like I knew all the voice actors in Toy Story and my peers are like, how do you know that? And I'm like, what how the hell? Like, how do you not know that Forrest Gump and Woody are the same person? Like, mm-hmm. I thought that was normal. I, yeah. I don't know. Do I you guys a- still watch the commentaries and like the behind the scenes features and everything? I do. Well, not really, but I'll do it if I really care about the director and the film. Like, yeah. Um, Taika Waititi did it for Thor Ragnarok and I love him and also his commentary is just hilarious and cute so why wouldn't I so I did that and then I also have uh the Black Panther Blu-ray uh I haven't gotten around to the director's commentary on that because I've seen that film so many times and I don't want to get burnt out Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's also harder with streaming versus the DVD physical yeah, copies right i don't know who it was i was talking with but i think it was, it was probably susan uh they need to put director's commentary on streaming like For on sure. netflix that needs yeah. to be like an option so you can watch it oh my god i would mm-hmm. i would just listen to all of them oh yeah yeah definitely i just watched not director's commentary yet but i watched all the behind the scenes of us which was okay. so cool because they did yeah i have the dvd and they did oh. like all these um all these you know little behind the scenes features about um how they you know did makeup like created the look of the tethered for example and stunts and just a bunch of different things it's really cool nice yeah i would do that for like finding nemo the dvd i'd watch <laughs> nice. the behind i'd always wherever we had dvd i would watch the behind the scenes and stuff and like wizard of oz like how they made the trees move and grab at people. And mm-hmm. I, I always love the behind the scenes yeah. features on DVDs, always. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think um, I remember being in film school and telling some facts I had learned. I think my professor had said something about um, in It's a Wonderful Life, they were shooting that during the summer. And because it's black and white, they used 
like potatoes for yep. the snow. And I was telling my mom, I was like, isn't that cool? And she was like, I don't want to know that stuff. I want to. And so I think I have to remember that people who aren't in movies don't necessarily want to know how it happens. They want that disbelief to stay in place. Right. But for me, I mean, even though I, I live behind the curtain, essentially, I mean, I love still seeing that and I can still suspend my disbelief. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's my a, thing with uh, film is I'll usually watch a movie at least twice the first time just for me to watch and enjoy the movie as a consumer. And then the second time to be like, how did they do this? <laughs> yeah, totally. And to pick it apart. Mm-hmm, for sure. All right. So sidetracked there, but uh, back to the questions. What drew you to makeup and art? Uh, my whole life, I've always excelled in art classes over math, uh, and science and shit. Oh fuck! <laughs> um, but I, I've always loved Halloween. Halloween was always my favorite holiday uh, because I got to dress up and do makeup and whatnot. And my parents, you know, it wasn't a big deal because it was Halloween. And then I became a teen and I kind of dabbled in makeup. And in high school, I did everyone's makeup, hair and makeup backstage for the musicals. And it was crazy because I'd be doing two heads at a time with curlers. And I'd, I'd be like, and then I'd be like, hold that. And the girls would be like, oh my God, you got to burn my scalp. I'm like, no, I'm not. Just, you need these curls. We're in the 40s. <laughs> so I'm like, hold that. And then I'd go do the next one and then just go back and forth like that. And I would do the makeup. I got really pissed one time because a girl threw away my lipstick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then I went to college and all my friends, you know, in their short films, they'd be like, can you do makeup for my piece? And I'm like, sure, why not? And that's what I was known for, but I didn't know how to break into the like professional makeup industry. But it, it's always just been something I've been interested in and good at. Do you have any makeup experiences or looks that you've uh, created that kind of stand out or you're really proud of? Yeah. Um... I am still working on this film called uh, Intoxicated Rain. And I got to turn this beautiful woman into a alien junkie. And she looks absolutely disgusting. And, like, I did that on the fly. Like, there was no prepping for it. I just, I just went at it. I was like, okay, how do I make her look the opposite of how she looks now, basically. I also love doing blood work. I like throwing blood at people. and Blood's always tasty. I, yeah, I, it is. It's mint-flavored, and I get to lick it afterwards. I know, it's just, it's just one of those I things know. you hear, and it's like, if you didn't know, we were talking about film. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I did a short recently, and, like, everyone was so fascinated by the the gore I was doing and I was just walking around like licking my knuckles because there was blood on it and mm-hmm. like someone asked me a question I was like what like just <laughs> fresh from licking uh yeah I always have fun with the bloody stuff see I'm just picturing you wandering around set now with like blood dripping from your mouth yeah like do you ever like watch something well 
I, I guess I pick up on things that uh, non-makeup people don't, but like there's a, in Bill Hader's Barry, the HBO show, like he gets his butt whooped and there's just blood dripping down his face and it's like all the way down his jaw and neck and everything. And the only thing I could think of was, wow, that looks so good. <laughs> like, like delicious. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it looked good as in realistic, but also like. He had a fresh minty mouth for a few days, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Never ending mint. All right. So what product never leaves your own makeup bag? Like pers- my personal makeup? Yeah. Oh, gloss. Uh, I used to not be a gloss person because like it's so sticky. And mm-hmm. if you've got hair, it gets in it and it's just it feels hard to separate your lips from it and yeah it's just it it used to be terrible but I don't know what's happening um I think they've like reformulated glosses because they're so comfortable and just always add a little something to your look any brands that you think are best with that this I'm this isn't sponsored, Laura. Okay. No, <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. I'm kidding. People are wondering. <laughs> uh no. I I feel like I have a lot of uh glosses, but the best one uh is the Fenty Beauty. Mm. Because and that's by Rihanna. If you guys don't know, Rihanna's the best. Uh it, it's really good because it has um shea butter in it, so it's like good for your lips as well as looking amazing so comfortable yeah nice do you have any favorite makeup trends so there's a hbo show that came out this year uh called euphoria and it's starring zendaya and i think it's produced by drake something he has something to do with it and like they're high school girls, but their makeup is like rhinestones all the way to the temple type thing. And it, like, it's just like loud, colorful makeup. And the makeup artist for that show, she also uh, did the makeup for Sorry to Bother You on Detroit's character. And it's just like, it's just loud and crazy and things that you normally wouldn't see on day to day. But so many people are like doing makeup looks based off that now because it's just so uncommon all right so what is your process to prepare for set and how does that vary production to production well I the the more information that I know prior to going on set the better so uh, I would prefer to have already read the script and you know so I could plot out okay this character needs blood this character needs glass in their hands um so it's the the more i know the the better prepared i am but sometimes people are just like can you do makeup you're like yeah and then you get on set and you're like i what am i doing (laughs) like and and so a lot of it is it can be on the fly but uh yeah i read through the script and i feel less anxious the, the better prepared i am as, as most people are. Mm-hmm. And what's something that you always bring to set with you besides your makeup kit? Is there something else? Uh, 
it's part of my kit, but it's also kind of my personal item. Uh, I should buy another one just so I can have two of them, one for my kid, one for myself. It's a hand fan. Um, it's so, uh, it, it has four speeds on it and God, you, you never know when it's going to be really hot on set. Uh, you never know when it's going to be hot just on a regular day, dude. It's, it, it comes in handy. Everyone loves it. Um, like it's my most, it's the thing that everyone asks for when I'm on set and it's like, it's, it's passed around. Like everyone <laughs> uses it. I'm like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll just suffer. It's fine. <laughs> nice. And along the same lines, other than the fan, is there something that you have to have in your on-set makeup kit? The essentials? The essentials. Well, of course you need a base. You need your foundation. Um, I didn't... I, I worked in a short film recently, and I didn't pack my spatula. <sighs> that was bad. Mm. <laughs> I was mixing... Uh, foundations with a biodegradable knife. I mean, it worked, but it was just like, God damn it! I'm never, I'm never gonna forget this ever again. That's how you learn things like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> What's one thing about your job that you wish more people knew, or you feel like some people often misunderstand about your work, and how do you navigate that? I feel like. People outside of the makeup department don't realize how long it takes to do a look, depending on the look. You know, if it's like a special effects, like I have to make a cut on someone's face, then it's going to, in order to get good work, it takes time. And people are like, yeah, you can do that in a few minutes. And like, I don't like being rushed. I mean, I can do it, but I just wish people were more understanding and realistic about how long it takes to do makeup. Makes sense. We had um, Jenny on the show and she said a similar thing and I've, I've witnessed that too mm -hmm. uh, working on set. So. Yeah. All right. So you also have a YouTube channel. Yeah. Tell us what it is and why you started it. So my YouTube channel is called the ginger binge. Uh, spelled exactly how it sounds. Um, that is also a name of a Fenty Beauty product, <laughs> if you can't tell I'm a fan. Um, but it's also just representative of me. Um, so what is it? It's basically just me in front of the camera telling all you guys what I want to see in theaters because I feel like it's a common thing amongst my friends to be like, what movie are we seeing next? Because a large chunk of my social interactions are going to the movies with friends. And like, I don't know, it just got frustrating. I, I hate repeating myself. <laughs> like, it's like a huge pet peeve of mine. And so I was like, how do I just make something so my friends can know and they can stop asking me? Because I would get like several friends being like, what should I go see this month? Because people trust my taste in film, which is nuts. So I was just like, here, here's the source. Stop asking me. And <laughs> so uh, the first of the month, every month, I uh, do my monthly must-sees, which are movies that I 
want to see and films that I will not see in theaters and films that are like, uh, you know, I'll see it if, you know, people want to see it with me type thing. And what was the second part of the question? I feel like there's another part of the question. Uh, why you started your YouTube channel. Oh, well, so like I wanted, I didn't want to lose my, you know, like, like I said, I love film in all aspects and I didn't want to lose any of that. So I was like, Oh my God, I haven't edited anything in a year. Like I need to be creative and I just needed an outlet to do that. And so I made my channel just for funsies and I, I did it when black Panther came out. I was like, Oh, I definitely need to talk about this film. And you know, I went through some growing pains like, oh, this isn't working or maybe I should do better in-depth reviews because it's not all just monthly must-sees. Sometimes I'll talk about a topic for an entire video um, or multiple topics. Uh, yeah, but it's all film-related, film news. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said um, a little bit ago talking about films that you won't see <laughs> what do you mean by that and what do you what are you talking about when you say things like that so like for example uh i i'm currently editing my video for october and the i talked about the joker film and that's a controversial film that i don't want to see and i'm very vocal about Phil, I, I don't want to call it boycotting because I'm one I'm a one person show like you can't mm -hmm. get mad at me for not wanting to see a movie like that's that's ridiculous but um yeah I'm very vocal about films that I, I I don't want to see and why I don't want to see them and that film in particular I feel like it um I don't know it, I, I'm scared that it's going to encourage the wrong people to do the wrong things people who are susceptible to violence and easily influenced um you know, bad things happen when I know it's art, but bad things can come from art. Like people need to realize that film doesn't exist in a vacuum. Uh, but yeah, there, I, I have, I have a lot of films I don't want to see like Woody Allen's filmography, just, mm. just people I don't support. I don't want, I don't, I, I know I love film and I know I'm open-minded, but I don't, there's just some people I draw the line at. Mm -hmm. sure it seems I keep seeing Joker previews because mm -hmm. it's coming out in a couple days and I can't speak for it it's not at the top of my list it's one of those that I might consider seeing but it seems very much like it's and it's certainly not the first movie to do this this is a lot of cinema history oh, sure. but it's like trying to beautify violence mm. and self-destruction yes you know and that kind of spiral you know and that's what makes me really cringe about it and so many people you look at the reviews and other people talking about oh I can't wait to see it um and it looks so beautiful and their reviews saying it's beautiful and it's like but it's about this violent man who's a self-destructive spiral and hurts people and you know is that beautiful is that I mean you can make it look great cinema you know cinematography and other things yep. but is that actually beautiful? Do we really want to be using that word to describe these things? So, yeah. I feel you on that. I feel like violence can be beautiful. 
Um, but that's just because I like gore and blood and stuff from a makeup perspective. Uh, but I feel like not only are they saying it's beautiful, it's, the film's kind of glorifying it. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people get upset with me about it because they're like, you know, there are lots of violent movies. And, but the, the thing with the Joker, it's just, it it's also promoting, like, I've, I've read some of the leaked scripts and it, it's kind of appealing to the incel community. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, fuck women, fuck the establishment type thing. And I mean, by all means, fuck the establishment. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't, it seems like the type of thing that white film bros will jerk off to and be like, Oh yeah. Joaquin without, yeah. Without, without realizing. Sure. I think this political climate too, that's a really dangerous message that can be, you know, put out. One of my, Especially right now. One of my Twitter followers, like, I was just talking about, you know, the movie itself. And he was like, well, no, I don't want to see this in theaters, period, because I don't feel safe. Because, you know, like, the Aurora shooting was, mm. and I, I, you know, that was a Batman movie, but that guy was, like, influenced by the Joker. Like, the Joker itself is a very dangerous character. And so I, I'm just scared of that. I'm terrified of what can happen. There are so many characters that are designed to be villains and designed to be people that you do not want to emulate, that you so often see people being like, yes, obviously that's the character I'm going to connect to. And Joker, especially recently, has been one of those characters. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me that a preview that I just saw um, mentioned his humanity. Mm. How it treats this movie treats his character with the most humanity the Joker in the Joker we've ever seen, and I think that's um, that's dangerous because, like yeah. you said, it just creates something that more people will relate to, and it gives it makes it more accessible to relate to in a way yeah. and more more acceptable actually and it's not like oh this this villain in a movie where the hero wins we we know that we're not supposed to relate to that person mm-hmm. you know i i feel like there's a thin line between appreciating a, vill- a villainous character mm-hmm. and like idolizing a villainous character because yes. they're villains I, I, they're they're more fun to love in a lot of cases you know like breaking bad walter white but no one wanted to be we shouldn't want to be walter white at least yeah mm-hmm. uh but you know it was fun to watch so like i understand from that point you know like a lot of people really like the disney villains more than the v- disney heroes and because they're misunderstood people like the underdogs and i i get that because i i always root for the underdog fuck the the lead person um but at the same time, like, just no, just, I, I feel like people are lacking empathy. Yeah, and I think, um, 
we talked about this a long time ago in an episode, but like our first episode, I think, but we talked about villains, writing villains or playing villains mm-hmm. and how that's, that can be more interesting because they see themselves as the hero, obviously exactly. in their own story. Yeah. And you're figuring out what drives that person because in reality, it's like I walk around and I don't understand why someone would want to murder a person or hurt a person or something like that. And yet, you know, you try to trying to understand why someone would do that. It's fascinating. That's why we have so many. I think everyone who works in the film industry in Wisconsin has worked on a a uh, serial killer documentary at some point because we have <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer and Ed Gein and uh, you know right. um, in our history and people are fascinated the way the reason they make keep making these it's because we want to know more we want to try to understand why these people did what they did or do what they do sure and the the Joker I feel like he's the perfect character to do that with because he's just. So there, there's just so much we don't know about the character. All we know is that he villainizes Gotham. Mm-hmm. And he's basically like a blank slate that you can attribute anything to. And it, But I think it's really irresponsible of Todd Phillips to, to write such a character at this time. Like mm-hmm. that so many potential shooters are going to be like, oh yeah, fuck women violence to everyone it's like oh my like i'm 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 so scared i i cried filming my my october episode because i'm like seriously i'm worried i'm i'm so scared sorry sorry this this became like a bummer i mean (laughs) thank you for sharing that and i um i'm just trying to think of what to say to that because that's a valid um feeling because of what everything we just talked about so our next topic (laughs) moving right Um, along you talked about in your intro about how you are watching all the nominated films for best picture Mm -hmm. so why did you decide to do that so like we talked about earlier uh as a kid i was just always you know into interested in movies and i always looked up what are the top 20 best movies of all time and i would look up the trivia on imdb <laughs> like i imdb and disney channel website were like my top visited websites i was a weird kid um but you know it it would always be these movies that i didn't watch that I that I didn't grow up on and you know as a kid you think what your parents show you is the best of the best and so I was like there's no way that there's a better movie than the Wizard of Oz like what the fuck like how did the Wizard of Oz not win best picture and you know so I just held a grudge for Gone with the Wind (laughs) for like 20 years (laughs) that's that's fair though that's fair (laughs) And so, like, a lot of films that I love did win Best Picture, which is fine. Like, I don't think that, you know, awards are the end-all be-all to uh, a film's worth or success. But I just was tired of people being like, well, how can you say that when you haven't seen this? And 
you know, usually men. And <laughs> so I was like, fuck it. I want to watch all of these so that no one can ever tell me to shut up ever again. Because I feel like you can better critique an institution if the more you know about it. So just watching everything that they've ever nominated, uh, I feel like it would it, it's the, the biggest fuck you to those people who are like, well, you can't say that. Did you start by going backwards or going forwards? Uh, I started in 1927. First, the Academy Awards. And I'm in 1971 right now. Oh, dang. Yeah. And so you just, do you go through, you'll just go through a year and then move forward? Yeah. I tried as hard as I could to do it in chronological order, but... um, a lot of films, especially the older ones, were hard to find. Mm-hmm. So I would have to hunt them down. And I didn't want to, you know, that took a while. So I would go on, you know, to another year. But I'd come back to the film. Like, um, I still haven't watched The Ten Commandments just because it's so long. <laughs> it's, even though I'm in the 70s. So, yeah, I jump, I jump around a little bit. But I try to stay in chronological order. Okay. And do you, what do you feel like you've learned so far from watching these? That there are a lot of hidden gems that aren't even talked about in film school. And I le- also learned that, even though I already knew this, the Academy is bullshit because <laughs> so much crap wins. Like, it's just validating my point that um, these awards don't matter. And it's all about campaigning, you know, and right. Harvey Weinstein. Um you know, just who you know and how much money you have that you can throw at a film's campaign. And yeah, they're, they're so like what I've learned. It basically got me to broaden my horizons because I've only seen like a handful of the classics as I'd call them. Um, but now I'm like, it, it, this challenge has encouraged me to, you know, just watch more from the, that era and like I'm falling in love with these actors. It's like, wow, I want to watch more of their stuff. When's their next movie coming? Out? <laughs> <laughs> uh, never. <laughs> so are there any historical or cinematic trends that you've noticed through the years or decades? I so like I. I also started this challenge so that I could uh, eventually incorporate it into my channel and talk about what won that year. Do I agree? Do I disagree? Um, What do I think was the best film that year? And regardless of whether or not it was nominated and I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. So like I do a lot of research on, uh that like what was going on in the world that year so like the tv was being invented and you know like i love lucy premiered so like the world it's fun to see how the world changed and how hollywood changed with it because uh a lot like for example the the Hayes code was uh very conservative it wasn't a law, but it was basically like, you can't make films that have these things in it. It was policing films. and But as 
the civil rights movement went on, they kind of went away with it. And they were like, oh, I guess you can have black people making out with white people. And yeah, I, I, I do that with all films, though, regardless of my challenge. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite year or decade in cinema history so far or one you've recently discovered? Well, I think 1994 is the best year of cinema, period. <laughs> but um, 1939, you know, that was the year of Gone with the Wind, mm-hmm. Stagecoach, uh, Wizard of Oz, uh, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Like, Ooh. all the, yeah. The, like, what, yeah. If, if I were part of the Academy, I'd be like, God damn it, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a really tough year, but it was a really good year. Have you gotten over your no. salt with Gone no. with the Wind? No. I watched it. Okay, so <laughs> so um, you know, I knew I had to watch for this yeah. challenge, and a lot of my friends volunteered to watch it with me. But I wanted to watch it with my brother because he and I have been shitting on that movie literally, like literally, for the past twenty years. Like we had to watch it, and he came to visit. Um, if you would have started twenty years ago, it would have just ended last year. <laughs> what my grudge no the movie (laughs) see see see? those are the types of those are the types of jokes that he and i make all the time and so like it was only right that i had to wait to watch it with him and my brother lives in texas and he came to visit uh not too long ago and we sat down and we watched it and he was so into it like more than me like i was on my phone (laughs) but he was like oh my God, this is, I can't believe her. And I was like, I'm, I love, it was a good experience to watch with him. Um, we split it up in two days and it, the ending was great. The, it was technically visually beautiful and amazing, but the just costumes for that movie. Exactly. The cut, co- the costumes, production, the sets, mm-hmm. uh, the cinematography. There were some shots. I was like, "How the hell are they getting this?" <laughs> like, is thirty nine? Because like, uh, a lot of I've I've noticed uh, a lot of films are mostly static, and they the camera just really doesn't move much. Uh, but you know, they had like crane shots and shit. So yeah. that's always in that year, or like up until that year. What's no, the time like, frame for that? For like static shots, yeah. I'd say like 30s and 40s. Okay. Yeah, they were mostly like, I'm not going to move this. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Cause think about it, the cameras are so big. Right. So yeah. heavy and huge. And yeah, so I, I don't blame them, honestly. Do you do any research into like the equipment that they were using for the various years? No, because <laughs> that's, that's like my weak spot. Uh, I don't know a lot about sound cameras lighting okay. in general i'm more of on the creative side yeah, yeah, yeah so i look into like how did they make frankenstein's head and nosferatu's teeth so that stuff's cool more my interest yeah yeah you mentioned camera size so i was just like oh i Wait, didn't even think of that right 35 right. mil you know oh, yeah. those are fucking oh yeah they're they're yeah. big big yeah. film canisters yeah. oh, you're yeah. not For those moving who don't that. know yeah yeah Do you have a least favorite year or decade in cinema history so far? 
the fifties weren't great. Mm. <laughs> the 50s, I was really struggling through the fifties. There were gems like 12 angry men where I was like, yes, yeah. it was like, it was like an oasis in a drought. Uh, but as a, as a, you know, in like 1952, even though it wasn't nominated, singing in the rain is pure flames. One of my favorite. I forgot well that there. wasn't nominated. Yeah, I feel like maybe I knew that, but oh. I forgot again. I like blocked it out. Like <laughs> exactly. that's not real. Exactly. Wow. It wasn't even oh my gosh. Okay. So yeah. like there are gems, of course, throughout the fifties. But as a whole, I was just like, I, I, can, I, can I move on? Yeah. And then it got like art housing in the sixties. Yeah. Well, what? So what about the fifties? Aside from singing in the rain being shut out, what else made you know. not like it? A lot of them were just not very interesting, not up my alley. Like, I guess maybe maybe it has something to do with the whole Hayes Code thing mm -hmm. because um, the 30s, like a lot of the films that were nominated in the 30s were like pre-Hayes Code, the pre-Code films. So they were like wild and, you know, women were depicted having jobs that weren't secretaries and, you know, it was just fun. And I don't know, like the fifties. Just think about the fifties. It was a very repressed era. Mm. Any time somebody tries to restrict art, right, the yeah. quality declines. Right, until Billy Wilder comes in and has two men in drag trying to seduce Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> that, yeah. changed, that changed the ha that changed the Hayes Code. I oh, that this challenge has made me appreciate billy i already liked him because yeah. i've seen sunset boulevard yeah but like man what a man what yeah. a director and for those who don't know we're talking about some <laughs> like it hot yes which is it's, a great movie you should see if you have you not see it. it's so good yeah. yeah that so the fun thing about that film is that the Hayes code was like no you can't you can't make this film and billy wilder was like fuck you we're releasing it anyways and it made 13 times its budget and that's when the the Hayes code the the uh the office they like shut down they were like eh, they're not listening <laughs> to us anymore <laughs> we can't police them and then that turned into the mpa mm -hmm. that's awesome I yeah did not know that. so thank you billy yeah doing <laughs> the lord's work So do you recommend that other filmmakers do this? No, because I I feel like I'm doing it so you guys don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> because there's a lot of shit. Also, it's just time consuming. And I realize that, you know, it would take a lifetime for the average person to, to watch all of these. But I'm a binger. I'm a masochist. <laughs> um, it's no problem. So I, when you typically start a year, mm -hmm. you like find all the movies that all the films that were nominated. Mm -hmm. Do you binge those all like within a week, within a couple of weeks? I do it at my own pace. Um, you know, like if I'm working, yeah, then I don't have a lot of time to do it. But when I'm not, I'm usually like, uh, let's throw this on, or <laughs> I'm really bad at, at this, but. Like, I'll find out the runtimes of these films mm -hmm. and watch it based on the runtimes. And I have a film coming up. I forget what it is, but it's like 95 minutes. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't wait. <laughs> I 
even like that becomes rare. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's interesting to see that because like 30s and 40s films were uh, relatively short. Besides Gone with the Wind, of course. <laughs> um, you know they were like some some were like 70 minutes, some mm. were like wow. like 90 minutes. It's it's perfect. But then you get I think that's what it was with the 50s, like these fucking like three hour movies, mm-hmm. and like only the the final hour is good. It oh. oh. And we're starting to see that trend more so again of yeah. the three-hour movie, the three-hour theatrical release. Yes, over two hours, two and a half, two forty-five. Yeah, yeah. I I've trained my my bladder. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I, I I saw Star Wars Episode Seven. Not that that's a long movie, but I drank a beer beforehand, and, and you know, alcohol mm-hmm. makes you, you know, yeah. yeah. And like I had to pee in the first like ten minutes of the movie, I was so pissed, and as if Literally. I wasn't gonna see it again in theaters like a week later. <laughs> but I was like, God damn it! So like ever since then, uh, I basically dehydrate myself before a movie. Uh, it's not healthy at all. I'll Commitment. come out of the movie with a yeah. huge headache, and my friends are like, "You can't do that." I'm like, "I do what I want." Yeah, and I'll just chug a water. I'll just be bouncing in my seat. <laughs> Like Dude, with my no. giant soda, just be like, no! I'm sitting here. It's fine. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> so like dehydration. No, it's not. Cause I, I hate, <laughs> I hate missing stuff. I'm the person who like, if I come late to a movie, I'm like upset. Okay. That's fair. Uh, Me too. Yeah. No, I recently saw, uh, it too. Yeah. And going into that movie, I, we, you know, went and we were grabbing drinks beforehand and the bartender was like, yeah, you, are, you guys have like three hours ahead of you. And I was like, we have what now? Yo. See, a lot of people don't know the runtime movies before they go in. Oh, I didn't for that one. <laughs> I was fine with it. It was a great movie. It was. But it was. it was also one of those things where movies have been getting longer. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, not necessarily a bad thing, but. No, I feel like some films like are worth that runtime but then sometimes it's like who edited this yeah tell the story that you need to tell exactly get to i'm very much a get to the point yeah (laughs) and kind of going back a little bit but like i saw um the original film that the thing is based off of i think i forget the name of it it's like the thing from another planet or something Mm. and like it's it's like it's probably like 90 minutes probably a little bit over but it doesn't get good until the last like 20 minutes and i was pissed i'm like why do you have people flirting like at the top of this movie like i don't care get to the scary shit like Mm -hmm. yeah get get to it get to it i'm very much that person like like uh, if it's slice of life it's one thing but if you're going for like A scary movie. Exactly. Get to the fucking point. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, yeah, and I've, I feel that way too, for the most part, with, uh, as a writer, you know, being trained, you always like, um, arrive late, leave early in a scene, uh, based on what's most important. But I've, I've been trying to shake that off a little bit in writing just because you do that with every scene. It's obviously not going to work. You do right. need introductions to scenes. You need establishing things. And, but, 
Um, Exposition. Generally, yeah, about. exactly. <laughs> you can just jump into the most important part of a scene, right. every single scene. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think as long as a movie neat needs to be that long and there aren't right there isn't superfluous stuff yes it works for example um boyhood is a really good for me i I think is great oh okay it's coming up (laughs) one day oh shit um (laughs) it's nominated for best picture um but that one's two hours and 45 minutes i think Mm. and for me and i know that came out when i was in film school and talked about it with a lot of my classmates and we're like yeah i mean it just flies by it doesn't feel like two hours and 45 minutes so I feel like it's all about pacing. Yes. Because there are films that are like two hours where I'm like, come on. Like, I get really impatient. Two hours honestly isn't that bad. But then I can sit for three hours for the sound of music because that movie's Mm -hmm. fucking great. It's, I don't know. I I have a tolerance when it's something that is interesting Mm -hmm. and that I care about. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um. And I know you're not, you mentioned that you're not super technical, right. but I'm curious because I recently watched a video about this because mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of a trend now where 4-3 aspect ratio is coming back and it that's how movies started, isn't right. it? Yeah. And then when TV came out, that's when it changed because we had the 4-3 box in TV. Right. So to differentiate, um, we got the widescreen. Yes. 16 by 9 generally that... Yeah. Um, you know, differentiated from TV and made it, that's now the, known as the cinematic look. Yes. Um, can you talk about that a little bit based on what you've seen so far in um, history? So basically they, they did the widescreen stuff because uh, Hollywood was losing, it was declining, it was losing sales once uh, TV, you know, became popular. It was everyone's household. And they were like, oh, we've, we've got to, we got to figure something out to get butts in these seats so they did uh, the the cinemascope thing, and um, the biggest film I can think of that that started it was um, Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. Terrible mm-hmm. film. <laughs> uh, sorry, it's not good. It's so long. It's not. Good. I think it's four hours. Oh god. Yeah. yeah. Right. And you know, like it it was something they were trying to to appeal to the masses. But honestly, you can't beat television. I feel like television was just more freeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they didn't have a haze code to follow. So, and you didn't have to leave your house. <laughs> so, which is the draw of television these days. Of course. Of course. <laughs> uh, but the, the yeah, I, I don't know what else to add about the, the aspect ratio, except for, of course, yeah. it did change. Yeah, I guess, I mean, that that's good. That satisfies me, my okay. question. Sorry. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> have you run into a lot of movies that you can tell have been made to please the audience like that? Like like technically? Like like, like technically or just in general as far as the story goes. Like you said, Cleopatra was made to please the audience and Oh, okay. Um Oh. I'm gonna come back to you on that yeah. one. Yeah. I'm gonna have to think about that. Like something that you can tell was like, like pandering to the audience. Land. <laughs> okay, well, to be fair, I haven't seen La La Land. It's a good movie. That's I like what, it, yeah. but it is very much so made to make people yeah. 
happy and made to make people. It's yeah, because Hollywood nostalgia is always going to be. Yeah, you know the artist was similar. Yeah. All right. If we're gonna go there, then I'll say like Green Book and films like Driving Miss Daisy, where it's like the buddy interracial friendship in you know civil rights era and it's like oh the good old days but also look look at my black friend type mm-hmm. movies oh i'm black by the way because you guys can't see me <laughs> so so i care about i care about uh you know racial representation in, in cinema as well as women and lgbt folk yeah can you talk about that from your own perspective a sure. little bit more when it comes to what you just said about those pandering films, Green yeah. Book, Driving Miss Daisy, I've read articles. I can understand why they're problematic. Can you talk about it from your perspective? Sure, absolutely. So I feel like uh, white comfort is uh, a thing, uh, whether people are conscious of it or not, just like male comfort is, you know, like mm-hmm. we want to appeal to male audiences. So we're going to have, you know, this, it's going to be structured this way. And I feel uh, that's just the case for the average film. Um, you know, they don't want to alienate the white masses, even though majority of moviegoers are people of color. And, but, you know, the white dollar is always prioritized. So um, that's why there, whenever there is black representation, it's usually a biracial character that's more uh, easily consumed by white audiences. Um, it, it's rare that you ever see a, a like a dark-skinned black woman in a romance in a film. It's, it, it's because they figure people don't want to see that, or that people aren't comfortable with it, and. So like the Joker, it's appealing to the white male audiences. It's it's being like, oh, you're a victim. You're you. you it, people tell you you're the most privileged person, but you're a victim. So like with Green Book, it's basically Hollywood patting itself on the back, being like, look, we care about diversity when they only had one black producer. And that's not diversity. I'm sorry. Like they're they're finding loopholes to care about diversity they're like see we got mahershala and oscar you can't say we're racist because people are just so afraid of like even being accused of racism Mm -hmm. so they're like look at us we're doing la la land and we have john legend and it's about jazz which is a black genre of music but he's gonna be the only black character like uh so yeah hollywood they 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 know that they have a racial problem, but they don't want to fully address it. Thank you for speaking to that. I think, you know, and what I've what I've read about and what I can recognize um, myself is just that those types of films, Green Book, specifically, is really simplifying the issue yes. of really simplifying racism and simplifying race relations just being like oh look this racist white man and this black man get along at the end yep and everything's solved right yeah they they don't i mean i, I haven't seen green book i'm gonna have to see it for my challenge mm-hmm. but from what i understand of it it's very light um 
in regards to the problems that black people faced uh, in that era, because like what I do know about Green Book is that it does trivialize uh, that real person's life and also the Green Book that it's named after itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Green Book is it, it was a book used uh, in the civil rights era for black people to navigate literally navigate the world like don't go to this city this is a sundown town which means you know like black people can't be there after sun after the sun goes down and or like don't go here like they have a huge kkk community and yeah so like the green book it was literally a tool to help black people avoid getting lynched like it's like a huge it was a huge like aid in a black person's life and here they are trivializing it being like oh let's name this movie green book and you know have this racist white dude become friends with this black dude and they weren't even friends they weren't even Mm -hmm. like it's fiction it's fiction and that's why they waited until he died to make the film so that and he doesn't have kids or anything he just has family members you know to speak for him but yeah, it's it's an abuse of power, really. It's gross. Yeah, that's a great, I mean, all great points that you brought up. So thank you. Is there anything else uh, that you've found or noticed or seen in your Oscars challenge that you wanted to share that you think is interesting? So, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not dumb. I know that uh, racial representation hasn't always, it still isn't that great, but uh, it was worse back in the day. But um, I'm always surprised when I see uh, black characters that even in the slightest ways, like are better depicted than I thought they would be. Like, for example, there was a film, Arrowhead, I believe in the 30s, uh, starring Ronald Coleman, and there was a black doctor in that film. And it was like, is this allowed? (laughs) What is happening? Or, um, I forget the name of the film, but it was a a Betty Davis film. It took place on a plantation, and uh, one of her slaves had earrings in. And, like what like is this allowed like they were allowed to wear jewelry so like i pick up on little things like that and that's fascinating to me Mm. all right so moving onward what has been your favorite project set crew experience sorry lauren (laughs) (laughs) no no don't get me wrong i'm not i'm not gonna throw you under the bus i had fun on your set but uh, I just worked on a short film uh, called Undecided, and uh, basically it's about a woman who is trying to, f- you know, she just finds out she's pregnant and she's trying to figure out what she's going to do with it. And the crew was predominantly non-male. Uh, you were you were there. You know I was there for, for one day, <laughs> one of the two shoot days. Yeah. I was on that too. And... Uh, it was it was just awesome. Like, I don't know. I felt so safe and comfortable, and it, it was just really a really cool set. Like, it was a green set, 
and lunch options were great. And, you know, even though I didn't know a lot of people on set, I just, I felt really, really comfortable. And I was grateful to have that experience because, you know, film sets can be very, I'm going to yell at you and I'm a man and, you know, so it was just really chill. Yeah. It was really chill. I felt that way too. Emily and I were recently talking about how sometimes you, when there are a lot of men or, or it's a mostly male crew, I feel that there's a lot of flexing going on mm. and men kind of trying to be like, I know this, I know that. And um, even if they do, I mean, there's nothing wrong with being knowledgeable. I'm not saying they don't, but there's kind of that flexing involved. And I was on another short film that we both worked on that was all female crew mm. and realized that part of me was kind of feeling like I needed to flex, need to be like, mm. Oh man, like I know this stuff. And then it was like, Hey, like in my head, I was like, Hey, chill. You don't have to do that. And I realized nice. that sometimes I feel like I have to flex because I'm around a lot of men that are, that are just feel, you know, right. doing that or feeling like they have to, maybe they're um, younger, they're fresh out of film school, whatever it is. They just kind of feel like they need to show their knowledge That's all the time because you i feel like you work with dudes a lot more than i do because in the makeup department you know it's usually just one person and they don't know shit about makeup so they just leave you alone mm -hmm. and so like you see stuff but you're not in it as much as you would be because you have to work right next to a dude you know most yeah. of the time yeah for sure yeah it's just an observation yeah Do you have a hobby that's not related to film or makeup? No. I'm kidding. <laughs> that's uh, fine. <laughs> dang. No, I think I'm not joking. I mean, <laughs> most of what, you know, I, I like TV. Um, I like to sew. I sew, Ooh, nice. I sew pillows just for yeah. fun. Like I'll be during my challenge. I was like, I need something to do with my hands. And so I just would sew pillows. Out of awesome. uh, old t-shirts. So you combine it. it with your film. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that question is always fun to ask people because everybody's always like, oh, shit, do I? Yeah. What's well, my reaction? That's yeah. why I ask it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like makeup outside of film. I just. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's. People who we talk to have found something that they love mm -hmm. and they love film and that carries into their oh, yeah. outside of work life as well, <laughs> yeah. which is really great to see because I think that if you don't love film and love what you're creating and love what you're doing, you're not going to reach your potential doing it. Right. I feel... Like going to film school, I was really frustrated because I was a film major, film studies minor. And so like I knew all of these intricacies about film and I would I would try to, you know, go to the movies as often as I could and, you know, just keep up with the world of film. And but there were people and I still know these kinds of people who are like, yeah, I don't go to the movies or like. I've never heard of that film. I've never heard of that person. And I'm not trying to be like, oh my God, you haven't heard of this director because I hate those people. I hate people who do that. But at the same time, it's like, you should know something. Like you should, yeah. you should like 
the field that you're in outside of just working it. Mm -hmm. So that frustrates me when people yeah. are like, oh, I'm not big on movies. Why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> One time I, someone said to me, uh, we're working on a commercial, but he was like, oh, yeah, I worked in TV in New York, but I don't watch TV. So I don't know who any of these actors are. And I'm like, <sighs> why would you not? I mean, you don't have to be spending all your life right. watching it, especially right, right, right. if you you don't have a lot of time. Sometimes right, I'm working a lot. Like I don't have a lot of time. Show. But it's like, really, you don't. You're gonna sit there, and that's another weird thing that I think some people flex on. They're just like, oh, I don't, I don't have time for that. It's like, right. If you are in film and TV, you exactly. should be consuming yeah, that exactly. also. Like, I get not having time to go to the theater. Right. Like, th right. That's like a real thing. And there's so much coming out nowadays that it's yes. impossible yes. to consume right. everything that everybody's talking about. Of course, yeah. But to stay alert and stay aware and keep these things on your radar. Yeah. And like even for TV shows, like if it's for me, I haven't seen The Office, but I've seen episodes. What? I know. Right. <laughs> I've seen episodes of it. So I understand why people connect to it. I right. understand why it's a good show. Right. Like I like the episodes that I've seen. There's just a lot of it. Oh, yeah. And that can be really intimidating when the whole world is that has its pulse on something and you oh, yeah. you, you don't. And you're, yeah. you're just like, because uh, I, I do that. I, I try not to, but I, sometimes I get peer pressured into watching shit. Mm -hmm. So like I joined the Game of Thrones fandom like on season three. Oh, yeah. I, like, I joined Game of Thrones late. Yeah. Because I, I was like, what, what are you, what's the hype? I got to see what you guys are talking about, even though mm -hmm. like I... If it were up to me, I would not watch the show. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one that I've seen a lot of episodes of, but mm -hmm. I don't think I've seen the entire thing. Don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was a, honestly, it was a waste of my time. I, think. I don't know. It was, it yeah. was fun. Yeah. It, it, it had its moments. It, it has its, its moments. moments, yes. And I can see why people get super jazzed about it. Right. Like there are some storylines in Game of Thrones that I'm like, I've kept up with this storyline. I know this storyline, even if I haven't been watching the episodes. But, like, there are some storylines that I'm just like, okay. Right. Yeah. But I think it's important to have that type of thing on your radar if you're yeah. working in the industry. Like, because who doesn't want to watch something and be like, oh, I want to make that? Like, if you're in the industry, mm -hmm. like, you want to make these things. So why not watch them? Like, it, it doesn't yeah. make sense to me. Oh, yeah. Like, how can you be like, no offense to Amish people, but how, I mean, if you're Amish, you're probably not listening to this. Yeah. But, <laughs> like, how can you, like, live like an Amish person? Like, oh, I don't watch anything. But you want to make things that other people will consume. Like, make that make sense. Right. It doesn't. Do you have a favorite movie or some, a couple top favorites? All right. Top four. Wizard of Oz. <laughs> no, actually. Gone with the wind. <laughs> <laughs> Twist. <laughs> Singing in the rain. Children of men. Princess bride. Mm. Color purple. That's my top four on Letterboxd. Nice. Get a letterbox. It's the best. Yeah. Not sponsored. Not sponsored. <laughs> hey, I would be the best letterbox spokesperson. You oh my would. God. <laughs> right on. So, who is one of your role models or somebody that you look up to 
whether in the industry and in life, just somebody you think you've had a who's had a big impact. Um, I mean, it's cheesy to say your mom, but my mom's pretty cool. Um, that's the answer I gave. You're good. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, but like film wise, um, I really love uh, Taika Waititi because mm. here he is, a man of color who is creating a platform for, you know, women and people of color because uh, he just announced at Comic-Con that his next Thor film, he's going to bring back Natalie Portman as Jane yeah. Foster. Oh, yeah. Which is huge because, what's up? I'm just really excited about that. <laughs> yes, because she quit the Marvel Cinematic Universe because they were treating her like shit. Yeah. She wanted, okay, so like Robert Downey Jr. was like the star and he mm -hmm. he got to bring on Shane Black to do Iron Man 3 and there were no problems about it. And Shane Black was his friend. I hate Shane Black. That's not fair. But Natalie Portman, she's like, okay, I want a female director for Thor 2. If, you, if actors can have pull. And the studio was like, no. And she's like, well, fine. Well, this is it. I'm not coming back. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I totally understand, Natalie. But now, you know, Taika is a man and he is like bringing her in. He's like, I'm not going to let you, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to allow you to be forgotten in this franchise. Like, you matter. And not only is he bringing her back, she's going to be I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited. That's sick. Like that's the coolest thing. Taika, like no one, and he he's just so he's like that with all his projects. He is. Yeah. Like, he so he is uh, Indigenous Pacific Islander. Mm -hmm. He always has Pacific Islander people in his cast, and like they shot Thor Ragnarok in Australia, and he he made sure that some of the crew were. Australian and to respect the land and he made Chris Hemsworth apologize for dressing up as a Native American like he's just he's so great and he even infiltrated the the plot of Thor Ragnarok is very much like colonialism is bad yeah people of color we need to uprise and he made Asgard really browner than it ever had been than in any of the previous films and he he's not afraid to um walk away from things because he has integrity because um, he wrote the original screenplay for Moana, mm. but he walked away from it because Disney was so dead set on doing tropes of Pacific Islanders. And he was like, fuck this. And he walked yeah. away from it. Like that's a huge Disney. That's a huge fucking oh, thing. Yeah. And he, he was like, no, I can't do this. And recently um, he was attached to direct Akira, which is uh, an animated Japanese film mm -hmm. and he was supposed to do the live action and adapt it and the studio was like okay but you're gonna bring in white people right and he was like uh no so he he left Akira's like a huge thing that everyone wants to see made into live action it's a huge project uh but he was like nope can't do it I'm not going to I'm not, I'm not gonna whitewash this for you guys and you know, they say it's creative differences, but knowing Taika, it's he he's very vocal about he representation. Is. And I uh, I love him. And he's very good at it. Yes. Valkyrie's gonna be queer. I know. Mm. Uh Valkyrie is just a phenomenal character. Yes. I want I want her tattoo. 
the oh yeah, the yeah, yeah. Ugh, I don't want it. I want it so bad, but I'm like, poor. <laughs> they did such a good job of building that character yeah. and creating a character who did have that self destruction we were talking about earlier exactly. and did have that downward spiral, but it yeah. wasn't. She's an anti hero. It wasn't about that. It was about her finding herself and fixing herself and fixing the world around her. Yes. And seeing that growth, like you saw the spiral, you saw where she came from, you saw where she landed, and now you're seeing her just rise up. And, oh, yeah. Ooh. And that was a big thing for me as a black woman to see an Afro-Latina be a Valkyrie. Yeah. And, like, oh, it just gives me chills. Like, I love that man so much. Like, can we get rid of all male directors and just keep him? <laughs> just he's he's yeah. a, he's our one, the one. He's thing. it. Yeah, he's <laughs> it. <laughs> just and get rid of Ryan Coogler too. No, okay. <laughs> no, absolutely. You know, there's a lot I'd keep. Okay. John Favreau. There's there are people that I trust. Yeah, Tyke is the best. He's the creme okay. de la creme of male identified directors. Okay. Okay. What advice do you want to leave us with? Uh, I would say just try for, for the average film enjoyer. I don't know. Just be more aware of your privileges because I don't know. I feel like the average person will watch the Oscars and be like, Oh yay, this movie won Green Book. But honestly, it's not good and I need people to have empathy for people who are different than them and just try to see where we're coming from instead of just brushing it off like, "Oh, why are you making everything about race?" Like it matters. It, representation really does matter. I remember talking to you on your set mm -hmm. about um you know, Denzel not Denzel Washington, I, I think it was like in his contract, he would not have uh, a white love interest, not until flight, which was way later in his career because he didn't want to alienate his black female audience. And, you know, people might say, well, I never thought about that. Why is that a big deal? Everything matters. Repre representation matters is the, the, mm -hmm. the advice I want to leave with everybody. Unintentional or intentional, it matters. Yeah completely agree what is can you shout out your youtube channel again sure that's uh the ginger binge wait the ginger ginger binge what, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's your channel <laughs> i just have people want to follow it it's the ginger binger okay yeah cool so follow brie there on youtube if you're interested some film reviews figure out what you can see you can email us if you want to leave us a message at womenbehindcamera at gmail.com. I am on Twitter and Instagram at lbarkerfilm. I am on Twitter as e underscore swan93 and on Instagram as e, -E swan93. I'm also the ginger binger on Letterboxd if you want to follow me there. Yeah, you can follow I'm L Barker film on Letterboxd. Yeah. You can follow us there too. 
I don't have a letter box. Oh I've been my told to God. get one. All right. We'll make you get yeah, one yeah. after we stop recording. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for Thank having you. me.